Welcome to I Have Some Notes Side Notes Edition. This is a part of the I Have Some Notes podcast where we take, uh, we're not talking about a movie today, we're just talking about something rather about the movies. Uh, I Have Some Notes as part of the Alberta Podcast, podcast Network. Powered by ATV Financial. My name is Colin McIntyre. I'm Scott C. Bourgeois. I'm Greg Beaver. Now I'm gonna. So today we're gonna talk about adaptations. This is Scott had this. Is uh, something uh, you want to talk about? Yeah. And uh, you have some. So I'm just. I'm gonna hand over the the leader chip to you, Scott. Take it away. I have the conch. You have the. <laughs> you have the conch. Yes. Uh. So another book adapt. Yeah. <laughs> that, uh, it's all coming together. <laughs> Um, so, uh, a couple episodes ago, we, uh, were fixing the movie Congo. Yes. For those who uh, are regular listeners, uh, you will remember that just recently. For those of you who are just joining us, uh, check Hello. out that episode. Hello. <laughs> thank you for joining us. Congo is an adaptation of a Michael Crichton novel. And I felt like throughout that episode, I was constantly being like, well, the book is better, you guys, which is not something I normally do, but... Uh, was something I was doing a lot because it's not a very good adaptation of the novel. Um, but I feel like there was a broader conversation to be had about adaptations mm-hmm. from novel to film, from comic book to film, from whatever to whatever. And uh, I did want to say, in defense of myself from that particular uh, episode, that's not always how I feel about adaptations because there are adaptations that are good. And my philosophy when it comes to an adaptation has always been that it is the same story told a different way. That there's going to be changes. It's like if Greg sits down and tells a ghost story, and then Colin sits down and tells the same ghost story, they're going to be different. It's going to be told differently. There's going to be different elements that are going to be uh, remembered in the telling and emphasized in the telling. And And they could both still be really great versions of the same story, but they're going to be different. And that's true with taking something from a book and moving it to a film. And Congo is a bad example because all the stuff that they changed from the book made the movie worse. But for uh, for another example, using another Michael Crichton novel, Jurassic Park is a good movie. It's very different than the book, which is itself a good book. It's probably my favorite Michael Crichton novel. They're both good adaptations of the same story. And that's where I'm going to open it up to you guys. Because I've I've kind of laid out my thesis now. So adaptations, yay or nay, Colin and Greg. Well, I mean, I don't know if it's a if it's really a yay or nay question. I think I think adaptations are 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 an interesting discussion because people tend to get very um, protective of source material, whether it's a book, whether it is a comic book or a video game or or whatever the case may be. Um, it, it's, it's, I, I, f- I think when you're, um, screenwriter, director, producer, or whatever, and, and you're going to take on the task of adapting something, it adds an extra layer of challenge, I think, to the movie making process, because not only, um, do you have the challenge of making a movie, which is itself quite difficult already, but you have to live up to uh, a potential, rabid fan base to try and live up to their expectations. I think sometimes maybe it's a little bit easier with a with a book because maybe uh, books don't tend to have as many rabid fans, particularly if you're adapting something uh, maybe less well-known. Um, <laughs> maybe adapting things like comic books and, and uh, 
uh, uh, video games are tougher because there's a there's kind of like a very loud, angry fan base that follows those things. But I don't I don't think it's like a yay or nay question. It's some it's it's just a it's more of like a an interesting conversation to have about what makes adap- adaptations work and what makes them not work. Yeah, and I think you make you bring up the point about. Um... Uh, you know, between the, the you know the books and the comics and video games, I think the I think the one advantage you have about maybe what what makes them work sometimes with books a little bit better is that comics and video games are visual mediums. So, and I use the example of of I think you know use an example of of adaptations that are very good books but also made very good movies. I think Harry Potter is probably good example i'm assuming i've never read the harry potter books but everyone tells me that they're great books and they're pretty solid movies and i think part of part of what made those movies really work was that uh you know this was it was the first time people were actually everyone had in their mind's eye how hogwarts looked how harry looked how you know all the characters looked and they finally get to see him on the big screen uh you know whereas you know when you get into things like you know especially with comic books you know you've you know how Superman looks or Batman looks or how these different characters look. And then, you know, you know, you have to, you know, and then they get the challenge of, okay, that was a comic that works great with people drawing stuff, but I need to make this into a movie and I actually need to, you know, it has to translate that onto the screen. Yeah. Uh, um, actually, I, I just thought of a way of to sort of make this a yay or nay question after I, after, <laughs> after I talked about how it's not really... Um, for adaptations to sort of be a yay or nay question on uh, whether it's good for you to, for for someone to do an update adaptation or or bad for them to do it, um, I think you can make an argument that um, when you read a book, as Colin says, you know you get this this very vivid picture of what you think it looks like, and then when it's put to screen, suddenly that vision goes away, and that and sometimes all that's left is the movie, right? And you think about like, well, I read um, The Fellowship of the Ring before Lord of the Rings came out. And uh, uh, I had, you know, a pretty good visualization because that book is very vivid. Uh, You know, endless, endless, endless descriptions of what everything looks like. Then, Then when it gets put to screen, you know, suddenly everything that you thought it looked like sort of, sort of changes. Now it just so happens that, um, Peter Jackson did a wonderful job with the Lord of the Rings series, and and I don't really have any sort of complaints about how he how he translated the 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 page to the to the screen. But you know, in some cases, it can kind of it can kind of you know you kind of think like after you watch a a, a movie that was adapted from a book, you're like I, I liked my version better or like my visualization of it better. Well, and there are examples of um, the an adaptation actually affecting the source material too. Um, and I will go back to Harry Potter because Snape is described in the first book actually quite differently than how he's described in later books. Really? Because Alan Rickman, so uh, his performance was so good and it so affected J.K. Rowling that she kind of retroactively made Snape right. more like Alan Rickman. Oh, okay. And that's an example of like... The so, uh, an adaptation being so strong in some element that it actually feeds back to the original source material, which is kind of interesting in itself. Um, it's funny you bring up Lord of the Rings, because that was going to be another example of something adapted good and something adapted bad that I was going to bring up. Because I think I agree the Lord of the Rings is a very good adaptation, whereas The Hobbit is a very bad adaptation. 
and they're both done by the same guy, which is so fascinating to me. Yeah, it's almost um, it's almost like watching like a, a, an enclosed case of of following the source material strictly and then uh, not following it in a way because the, you know the the trilogy obviously was three books. There's there's lots of room for three movies in there, and then the Hobbit is one book turned into a trilogy for reasons that well, are mostly surrounding greed. And it's also, well, yeah. And it's also an example of doing an adaptation for the right reasons and, and doing an adaptation reasons. for the wrong yeah. reasons. Peter Jackson's passion project was to bring Middle Earth to life and to do the Lord of the Rings. And he did not want to be there for The Hobbit. He did not want to be involved in that and felt begrudgingly like he needed to. And you can tell. And the studio had a ton of meddling involved in The Hobbit. And it's just a disaster. It's a disaster. And I feel like I feel like there's a lot of adaptations that are made, especially now, where uh, a production company will spot uh, an intellectual property, whether it be a video game or a comic book or a or novel that's starting to get popular and they'll snap it up to make a movie without really putting much thought into it. Mm -hmm. And they'll just throw it at somebody. And that's, I feel like one of the reasons why, for example, video games movies don't tend to work out because they snap up the IP and they just throw it at someone who doesn't really know it, who has no passion for it, who's uninterested and makes it. And, I think throws out the stuff that they don't like about it. And there are examples of video game movies that are done by people who are passionate about it. Like the recent Warcraft movie mm -hmm. was a passion project for the guy that did it. Say what you will about how successful it was, but uh, it was the guy's passion project. It looks like World of Warcraft. It's deep into the lore for good or ill. Because I, as I understand it, that actually made the movie less accessible for a lot of people. <laughs> but but it was it was done for the right reason. Whereas... I feel like, especially in the case of video game movies, it's it's just we want to make money off of something that the kids find popular nowadays. And uh, if only we had gone into more detail about, in a side nose episode about video game movies, <laughs> yeah. we would have probably discussed this then too, yeah. but that will never be known. <laughs> so. I have a feeling as we progress with side notes, uh, topics will overlap somewhat. <laughs> um, let me ask you... Uh, you guys uh this like do you feel like um there is certain source uh, source material that is inherently unfilmable or do you kind of believe that uh anything is filmable if it's done correctly i don't think there's anything that you that you can't do i think i think i think for the longest time the the whole idea especially when we were talking about things like lord of the rings harry potter the comic book movies for the longest time, it was because the there was no way to pull it off on the screen because the sure. effects weren't yeah. there, right? So, uh, like, we mentioned this, uh, and I think it was a, not maybe not the previous side notes, but talking but talking about CGI when when we talked about the episode about CGI, like that movie, you know, for to do Lord of the Rings, you need to have those effects available to you, right? So, yeah, um, I don't, I, I feel like, I feel like no matter what your what your what your for every talking about Scott's point about video games for every adaptation you can look at and say, wow, that was a, a flaming pile of poop. You can find another example, probably in that genre that says this was amazing. And I think you can probably cr cross that across every pick a genre, pick a topic. You can probably find something that works. Well, and there might be unfilmable elements to any source material, 
um, that you're trying to translate into a movie. But that, that ties back into my original thesis as well. When you're making an adaptation, it's the same story told a different way. And you have to accept that there's going to be some elements that just can't make the translation. There are some things you can do in a book you just can't do on the screen. There are some things you can do in a video game, which is a very interactive medium yeah. as well, that you just can't do on the screen. I think I think it also depends on kind of how you're adapting it. So I'm going to use the example of um, the the you know the, the comic book and the movie The Watchmen. So the comic book Watchmen is known in the comic book world as like, it is one of the things if you collect comic books you have on your bookshelf. It's a, I think one it's few comics that won a Pulitzer. It's, it's a seminal yeah. moment mm-hmm. in comic yeah. books. Yeah. Uh, you know the 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 movie made by our good buddy Zack Snyder, and eh, not that great. But I'm but I wonder like what if but it's like okay well instead of adapting that into fit to cram all of that comic into a two hour movie, what happens if you put that into a a series, a mini series, yeah, sometimes or, like the, a, or sometimes they don't get the, they yeah. don't get the medium right. Well, yeah. and it's not even necessarily the medium in this case because this is I would I would cite Watchmen as an example where the adaptation missed the point of the source material. Yeah, and the the book has certain themes that it's hitting very hard on that. Uh, that the movie misses completely. Yeah. And that's one of the reasons why I feel the Watchmen movie falls flat because I think it looks very much like the comic book. Yeah, it looks great. And I think that it's visually very good, but I feel like Zack Snyder missed the point of the comic and that's why that movie misfires fundamentally. Yeah. Uh, because in in the comic, the the shtick is very much that Doctor Manhattan is the only superhero in the group. Everyone else is just a dude. But in the movie, they're all superheroes. Like they're all yeah, like bone breaking, yeah. <laughs> crashing through granite, shrugging off uh, uh, like destructive fist fight superheroes, and that undercuts part of the theme of the entire of the entire uh, story. Yeah. So. This that's an example of a different kind of of uh, adaptation that fails, and that's I've adapted something that I misunderstood. Right. Well, okay. Well, I'll give you guys an example of like something going back to like things that may be unfilmable. I feel like um, stories that are very much told inside a character's head, I find are sort of the uh, ad- adaptations that may be the most difficult for screenwriters. And I'll give uh, the example I'm going to use for this is The Martian uh, by Andy Weir. Um, really, Scott's version of The Martian is actually a very good movie. It's a it's a very uh, good space rescue adventure, um, very much in line with um, uh, Apollo 13. Like it's a, it's a, it has um it's uh, you know done very well it's it's uh, funny at times it's uh, it's got a, you know it's got a lot of the the you know a lot of nice cool science bits in it but as an adaptation of the book um the magic of the, of the book if you've ever read it is the detail in which Andy uh, Weir has thought about what life on Mars would be like for astronauts who go there um He's thought out in detail how they would they would live in their temporary stay, how they would get there, um, and 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 uh, and not only that, but just like like um, uh, very, he writes a lot of very believable science and uh, science bits just about like the problems that would occur, 
why they would occur and how you might solve them. And and while there, while um, Mark Watney in the movie does come across a lot of the same challenges that Mark Watney does in the book, um, the magic of how he solves those problems is somewhat lost uh, because you're not inside his head this, the same way you are in the book. Now, going uh, sort of taking a, uh, an opposite tack to that, um, you can you could argue that you can get inside of a character's head really well. It just depends on how you do it. Look at the new um, Sherlock Holmes adaptation with um, Benedict Cumberbatch, where you know the the crux of of Sherlock Holmes is trying to you know is is following along in his thought process and understanding you know how he's solving things, and that's sort of the fun of it. And they use all sorts of uh, different visual effects techniques, um, uh, you know, re- rewinding time back and forth, uh, you know, heads up displays, you know, almost looks like Sherlock Holmes has, has a HUD at certain points and stuff like that. So they use all these different types of effects to sort of like indicate to you how he's thinking. So it, it's possible to do it. Um, but in some cases it, it, uh, it's, it fails and in some cases it works really well. Edmonton is full of passionate people dedicated to building a vibrant community. The Well-Endowed Podcast explores the impact that these municipal champions are having on our city. You can find episodes at thewellendowedpodcast.com. I'm going to uh, slightly shift away to uh, an instance, an example of an adaptation that's actually better than the source material. Uh, which is something that can happen. And that is the movie Dr. Strangelove. I assume we've all seen it. I have. There was, there was some blank looks. I'm just making sure it's based on a novel. Uh, It's based on the novel red alert by Peter George, which is a thriller, uh, which is about basically a a series of kind of technical errors set in motion by, uh, by a, a renegade general in the United States who kind of wants to, do a preemptive strike on communist Russia during the days of the Soviet Union because he's dying and he doesn't feel like the the bureaucrats are going to have the guts to do what needs to be done and how close and it's meant to be a thriller showing how close we can come to the end of the world and it's it's like a taut political technical thriller Dr Strangelove is a comedy it's a very funny and dark, 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 dark movie. And that's because Stanley Kubrick shifted the focus a little bit, not because he misunderstood the the themes of the book, but because he saw a way to improve upon it. And that was to make it into satire Mm -hmm. and to show that the real threat wasn't like the real threat wasn't the technological aspect of it. The real threat was the incompetence of the people in charge. And that's what he decided to focus on in the movie. And now the and the movie is much more well known than the book, yeah. and is considered a great classic. And that's that's just an example of how someone can look at some source material and say, "This is good. I feel like it could be better. I could punch this up." Kind of what we do on our <laughs> show, really, in a way. But uh, but we're it, all but it, we're all just like Stanley Kubrick, right? Yeah. In every way possible. Yep, that is <laughs> us not at all tooting our own horn. But but it shows that. Adaptations aren't necessarily bad and can 
not just execute well on its source material, but execute better than its source material, yeah. can actually punch it up. And I think that's really good too, actually. I think that's great. Because sometimes a book or a comic or a video game might have a good idea that does get executed better as a film. Yeah. Yeah, I, I I think that uh, if you if you're if you're someone who is who is uh, really protective of uh, of the source material, um, you know you know maybe uh, learn to uh, maybe lighten up a little bit because you know uh, the same story told through different lenses is fun. I mean. You know, like there's a million different ways that, um, you know, a Spider-Man, for, for example, has been told or or any number of like Batman's a great uh, uh, example of like Batman's been fun as a, a, a real realistic, dark, gritty, uh, almost anti-hero. He's also been really fun as like the goofiest hero who's ever been put to television. You know, it's there's there's lots of different ways to uh to envision a character and it just depends on the on the lens of the person who's telling the story you'll even just take a look at the most recent spate of spader-man movies yes i said spader-man <laughs> for the record but the the spider-man movies the um the toby Maguire ones and the um uh mark webb the yeah the sony ones mm-hmm. uh that happened before the one the 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 garfield ones ones. i was trying to remember the guy's name and then now the tom holland ones yeah um they're all like they they all read to me as spider-man but they're all very different takes on the character and kind of the mythology yeah yeah sam raimi kind of had uh he sort of um saw it from the lens of the um 60s and 70s version of the character right that's kind of that was what he grew up with and that's yeah, what he wanted to put the, on the, the screen Steve Ditko classic spider-man yeah. yeah and uh i'm not sure what mark webb was going for uh, definitely something more like a like a more i'm gonna use quotations here realistic techno thriller yeah I don't know. It, it was informed those by the ones dark. Didn't net. really have a super good vision, it, but but it was informed by the dark. Net, yeah, with yeah. a more gritty, realistic kind right. of take on it. And, and if yeah. I'm if, if I'm understanding correctly, um, Tom Holland's version is sort of based loosely off of Ultimate Spider-Man. Yeah, most of most of the the Marvel Cinematic Universe is actually loosely based on uh, on the Ultimate Marvel Universe. Okay, so even even to the point uh, that when the when the Ultimate Avengers uh, came out, uh, they you know pr- prior prior to the Ultimate uh, Marvel Universe comic book wise, Nick Fury was uh, was had an eye patch, but he was a white dude with a with a flat flat top haircut. Yeah. And when Ultimate Avengers comes out, uh, Brian Hitch the Brian uh, the Brian Hitch the artist. I'm not sure. Who, uh, I forget who was writing the comic book at the time, but basically they're like, we're gonna make we're gonna make Nick Fury look like Samuel L. Jackson. <laughs> And this, for the record, Sam Jackson said he was okay with it so long as he played Nick Fury in the movie. Yeah, and then lo and behold, when uh, when the uh, when they when they finally when the Marvel Cinematic Universe becomes a thing, yeah, it's it's kind of it's it it plays to obviously lots of different uh, parts of the Marvel Universe, but it's it is it is sort of loosely ish based uh, like yeah. on that on that universe. In continuing a tradition of me contradicting myself in this episode, I will mention one piece <laughs> of uh, of uh, storytelling that I would never want adapted for any reason whatsoever, and that is Calvin and Hobbes. And for a fairly specific reason, and 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 it mostly has to do with the artist Bill Watterson himself, um, who 
who I feel like um, there's an integrity to Bill Watterson that I just don't want ever to be sullied <laughs> because he he really with with the if you don't know what Calvin and Hobbes is you might be a very young listener and never heard of Calvin and Hobbes but it was a uh, comic strip that ran in the uh, 80s and uh, early 90s it ran for 10 years uh, all about a uh, little boy and his uh, stuffed uh, tiger uh, little boy Calvin has an intense imagination and uh, and Bill Watterson um uh, really cared deeply about um, his uh, his characters and his his comic and and was uh, and, and even though it was highly popular, he refused to uh, turn it into uh, movies. He refused to turn it into TV shows. He yeah. refused to merchandise it. Um, he he always felt like he 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 said he couldn't imagine. Um, Calvin having a voice because he really felt like the voice that Calvin and Hobbes have are the voices that his readers give to them and he wouldn't want to spoil that and and I really I really like I really respect Bill Watterson for that that just that he 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 really held to the art which is really not something uh, that uh, that you see these day in, in this day and age you know everyone mo- most of the time books and comics and all sorts of things they're basically written to get movie deals yeah i mean and and the fact that he he was never interested in the money he just wanted to do his thing and and he did it and it um you know he ended it in probably one of the greatest comic strip uh the sunday strips ever you know he it was just the perfect thing and I'm, i'm glad that he's uh he's uh maintained the integrity of it all these years later I wouldn't pass uh, put it past Bill Watterson that if uh, that you know that obviously that, you know, nothing nothing would get ever get adapted as long as he was probably alive, right? Because he'd be he would say no, absolutely not. But uh, that if even even uh, in the in the days when he when he is passed, there's he probably has some sort of like hidden secret bunker with like a neutron bomb that basically says <laughs> if there's ever a Calvin and Hobbes you know Netflix series that poof there goes Planet yeah, Earth. I I, I hope that. You know, well, even after he passes away, that his estate takes care of Calvin and Hobbes the same way that he did. Um, this actually reminds me of uh, Peter Pan, because the rights to the character ended up in the hands of, um, um, I want to say like a children's hospice or something okay. in, in the UK, where it's they have the perpetual copyright on it. As willed to them by the creator, I'm, I'm I may have put myself on the spot by saying it was Peter Pan. I think it is Peter Pan, but it could be something else. <laughs> but um, and that that led my my thought train to Bill Watterson passing and Kelvin and Hobbes potentially passing into public domain. And uh, that's kind of a different subject, maybe to go into bigger length in another episode because we're kind of running up on the end here. But I do want to mention it. I like seeing new takes on public domain characters, mm-hmm. like yeah, when Alan too. Moore makes League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, for example, and takes a bunch of uh, interesting characters from the public domain and mashes them together. Yeah. Um, and I'm I'm saddened that with uh, the advent of greedy companies holding on to their characters uh, in perpetuity, 
fewer and fewer works are moving into the public domain. And the public domain is really where a lot of creative uh, inspiration comes from. Yeah. And it's a shame that there's there's less of that coming into the public domain every year. And I would I, I just wish that more would. I wish that people wouldn't hold greedily onto some of those copyrights as yeah, long as they do. Typically, like art wants to be. I say this as someone who just said I don't want. <laughs> I want to help or Bill Watterson's estate to uh, to do the exact same thing. But you know, like the, in a lot of ways, um, the art wants to be free, right? And and it and it tends to it tends to become it takes on new meanings and it, and it evolves and 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 um, you know, it becomes better. Like it, the, a story told, you know, 30 years ago, um, you know, it had, you know, might've had, might have had different tones for the time, you know, in the, you know, in the fifties and sixties, there's big scares about um, nuclear war and stuff like that. And, and it informed pop culture, you know, today our fears about um, terrorism and extremism inform our pop culture and, and and we're retelling a lot of stories through that lens and you know 30 years from now whatever the fear is um you know the, the it'll change as well so it's it's always it's interesting to have these stories retold because you know it's, it, times change and, and and they need to be uh updated for for a new audience yeah and 30 years time the fears will be robots quite yeah, probably ai and the AI will just be writing our stories for us. Yeah, there we go. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, maybe the maybe the uh, public domain conversation is is another side notes yeah, down the road. Maybe. We'll have a bigger conversation Definitely. on that. Maybe have an expert in on it. But uh, yeah, just something to touch on. But uh, overall, I think at the end of the day, we can all say we like adaptations. Yeah, sure. Even if I didn't like Congo's adaptation, because it was a bad <laughs> it was a bad adaptation. I, I might call this episode. Scott was feeling self conscious about his performance in Congo. A little bit, yeah. I felt like <laughs> wow. I needed to just. I thought it was bit. fine. You were you eh. were never you. Eh. It was never like there was never an attitude or like a a, a, a pompousness about it or anything like that. Fair enough. Yeah. But uh, I needed. I felt I needed to justify myself in an extra <laughs> half hour episode. So there we go. It was well, all worth it. Well, that's what we think. Uh, what do you guys think about adaptations? Uh, you can let us know. You can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at uh, I have some notes. Uh, leave your comments wherever you'd like to uh, to leave them. Uh, we read them all. We appreciate every single one. Uh, if you like the show, please consider rate and reviewing us uh, on iTunes. It really, really helps us out. Scott, you have another podcast that people should listen to. I do. It's the Read Along. It's a mini book club for your ears. It's a super chill book club where we read a book one chapter at a time every week. And then my lovely wife, Anita, and I put out an episode where we discuss our thoughts on the chapter and perhaps irresponsibly speculate on where <laughs> the story's going. Uh, we're currently reading Artemis by Andy Weir, which I may have neglected to mention in our previous episode. Uh, but you can uh, definitely check us out. We're at the read along at all of the social medias, and uh, we would be happy for you to be reading along with us. Absolutely. Uh, another podcast you might want to check out, check out the uh, on the Alberta Podcast Network is the Both, uh, Bothy Storytelling Podcast. Uh, this is a great resource for aspiring storytellers. Hear interviews with storytellers, help guides, and business practices, and, of course, recorded stories. You can check that out uh, wherever you get your podcast or go to Alberta Podcast uh, Network. Uh, our show and others from the network are being broadcast on G Radio. You can find that at gradio.ca, and you can find everything from the Alberta Podcast Network on the CKOA radio app. Uh, so in addition to listening to CKOA, you can listen to uh, all these uh, wonderful podcasts. Download that from the Apple App Store 
We post new episodes every second week, so tune in two weeks from now, and you will hear another episode of I Have Some Notes, be it uh, probably be a movie one, will it not? It will be a full movie, although we have not decided which it is, because oh. we are recording this episode way in advance. That's a go. <laughs> this so, is about uh, a month ahead of so, where this is, when this is going to get released. So, uh, with that in, if you have suggestions for us, we love to hear them. So, yeah. Uh, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, I Have Some Notes, uh, and just let us know what you think. Uh, that's it for us. The, you, there's a million podcasts to listen to. You chose this one. We thank you very much for being a part of the show. And uh, we will talk to you very shortly. Imagine this guy. Or adaptations thereof. <laughs> <laughs> adaptations of the guy. <laughs>